have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. Let me say it's great to be with you today. Merry Christmas. All right, can you believe that one week from today is Christmas Eve? And some of you are thinking, oh, yes, but you're probably under 12. (laughs) Or, Or maybe you've been dating this guy. You know, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year and all that. And then watching all these Christmas movies, you think, finally, this year, he's going to ask me to marry him at Christmas. Well, you've been dating for 12 years, so don't get your hopes up too high, okay? For some of you, Christmas is a stressful time. There's all this stuff to do. And all these presents you feel like you've got to buy. And all these parties and places where you feel like you've got to go. I don't have time. I don't have money. I just can't do it. And it's stressful. Everybody take a deep breath. (sighs) Let it out, okay? Christmas can be stressful. Christmas can be sad for a lot of people. Maybe you've lost a loved one in the past year. Maybe you lost a loved one years ago, but it was around the Christmas season. It seems like it happens a lot during the holidays. I know I can relate to you somewhat. My mom had a massive stroke a little over a year ago, and Christmas really isn't the same in in our family anymore. And I was one of her favorite preachers. I really was, you know. After Adrian Rogers and uh, Charles Stanley and David Jeremiah and Jack Graham and about five others. I was right up there, though, okay? At Christmas. Thank you for coming and being with us today. If you're a guest, we are especially glad to have you. Some of you may be thinking, I've I really don't know about this church thing. Haven't been to church a lot. I don't really know what's going to happen. And I just want you to relax. And we're not going to call on you to pray or anything like that. We're just glad you're here. And we're hopeful that you'll come back and be with us anytime or all the time if you're uh, available or you live in this area because we are blessed to be a part of a great church here. In fact, we baptized three people in the first service, had three more joined by letter today, so it's been a, a good day already. But some of you may be asking, is it even possible for me to be right with God? Kevin, you don't know the things that I've done. You don't know my circumstances. You don't know my issues, my problems, my needs. And you're right, I don't. But I do know this. There was a Savior sent to this earth some 2,000 years ago who was born, laid in a manger, a feeding trough for cattle, lived a perfect, sinless life, went to a cross, and he died for your sin and mine. He rose from the dead on the third day. And for all of those who will place their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you can know forgiveness. You can know hope. You can know life, eternal and forever, abundant and never-ending. If 
you'll place your faith in Jesus Christ and give your life to him. And if you've never done that, I encourage you to do that, even today. Here's the good news. God provided a way by sending Jesus Christ to this earth for us. Today, we're going to talk about some of the details just prior to Jesus' birth. Take a look with me at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Notice when the angel was sent. It was in the sixth month. That's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Do you know who Elizabeth was? Elizabeth was a relative of Mary who was going to give birth to a boy named John. John would be the forerunner for Jesus Christ. He would also be known as John the Baptizer. Many of us call him John the Baptist. And when Zechariah heard that he and Elizabeth were going to have a baby, Zechariah said, this is impossible. Can't happen. My wife and I are way too old. Think about it. If Zechariah thought John's birth was impossible, what's Mary thinking? Hey, Zechariah, I think I got you beat. You might be old, but I'm a virgin. I've never had a relationship with a man before. I think I got you beat here, brother. Did you notice who sent the angel? Luke tells us that God sent the angel Gabriel. God did the initiating here. Not Mary, not Joseph, not Gabriel, not some prophet or preacher or priest. This is not some dogmatic decree directed down from Rome. This came straight from God. The angel's name was Gabriel. The same angel who appeared to Daniel in the Old Testament. The same angel who had just appeared to Zechariah predicting the birth of John the Baptist. The same angel whose name means God is my strength. This is the one whom God is sending. The Bible mentions the names of only two angels, Gabriel and Michael. Gabriel was the messenger who announced the merciful and gracious purposes of God. Michael was the one who executed God's decrees and punishments. In light of this, the Jews reportedly had a beautiful phrase that said, Gabriel flew with two wings while Michael only flew with one. Now, obviously, this is not literally true. They were not saying that, well, When Gabriel flies, he uses two wings, but when Michael flies, he's got to have one wing tied behind his back. How many of you like to do that for eternity? I think what the Jews were saying was God is quick to announce the good news, and he is slow to announce judgment. He is slow in his anger. The Bible tells us just that. And Exodus 34, 6, that God is slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Joel 2, 13 says God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Aren't you glad we serve a God who's patient toward us? Think about it. We would all be in a heap of trouble, would we not? That sin that you committed last week, boom, lightning strike on you. You're dead. Aren't you glad our God is merciful? If God was not merciful, will we be like bugs in a bug zapper? There you go. We'd be like 
roadkill and a tractor-trailer grill, James. It, it wouldn't be pretty, would it? If God were not patient with us, we would all be in big trouble, but thankfully he is. God is exceedingly patient with us, but too often we are not patient with others. And sometimes parents are worse than the kids. At one point during a Little League baseball game, the coach pulls this 10-year-old boy off to the side and said, son, you need to listen to me and listen to me well. When the umpire says you're out, you're out. When the umpire says strike three, it's strike three. You don't yell, you don't scream, you don't curse at the umpire, you don't call the people on the other team names. Do you get this? Little boy's like, yes, sir. Good, son. Now, would you please go over and explain that to your mother? (laughs) Too often, we're not patient with one another. And the Christmas season can bring out the worst in us. We got all this stuff to do and all these places to go and all this money we feel like we've got to spend. We just don't have time. We just don't have the money. We don't have the patience. Put it all together. Back to Luke chapter 1. So far, what God is doing here makes sense. It's according to protocol. Well, we might expect God is preparing the way for the coming of Jesus with John the baptizer. God is supernaturally orchestrating this event by sending one of his most prominent angels. But the last part of verse 26 throws us a curveball. If you don't know the story, or you haven't studied the prophecy, you're not ready for this. The angel was sent to Nazareth, a tiny little obscure village in Galilee, located in a remote corner of the country with no reputation for religion or culture or business or government or learning. It wasn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. God could have chosen an Athens or a Rome or even a Jerusalem, but instead he chose a place called Nazareth and one called Bethlehem. Nazareth is such an obscure choice. When Philip told Nathaniel about Jesus, his first response was this. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? But God chose obscure places to do eternally important work. Jesus was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth. Not exactly cultural centers of the Middle Eastern world. You don't know where. God might do the next great work. And you don't know whom God might just use. God chose an obscure place here in Luke chapters 1 and 2. He also chose what seemed to be some pretty ordinary people. Verse 27, God sent the angel to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, a simple, young, teenage, Jewish, peasant girl, legally bound to be married to a relatively poor and unknown carpenter. Think about it. God could have chosen the rich and famous, or a Bible scholar, or maybe a prophet, or a priest, or a prince, or a king, but a simple carpenter betrothed to a young teenage 
Jewish girl. Kings were not born in the households of peasants, but here royalty is about to dwell in poverty. Now there's a part of me that wants to scratch my head and say, I don't get that. Why would God not send his only begotten son into the world to be born in a palace? Why would not all of the nobles and all of the kings and all of the princes of the world announce his birth? Why not a big celebration in a big city? Jesus has come. Part of me kind of scratches my head and said, why didn't God do it that way? But a part of me says, it makes perfect sense. You see, God didn't come just to save the people who were noble and and mighty and, and rich and powerful. In fact, sometimes it's more difficult to humble ourselves when we are in that position. But God came for people who will come to him in humility, confessing their sin and realizing their total dependence upon Jesus Christ for anything that they have. And that may be you today. You may think, Kevin, I don't have anything. I haven't done anything. I'm not very significant to people around me or especially to people out there in the community. And nobody knows me outside of the county. That's okay. Sometimes God uses people, many times, that we would never expect. You see it over and over and over again in the Bible. And you see with Mary and Joseph. The New Testament reminds us that there's something simple yet wonderful about this couple. We receive hints of it in the words of the angel to Mary, verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you're highly favored. The Lord is with you. Two incredible blessings here. Blessing number one, Mary received the favor of God. Think about it, of all the people that God could have chosen to give birth to his only begotten son, God chose Mary. Not that Mary was the source of the blessing, but she is a great recipient of it by the grace of God. God is still looking for people to whom he can extend his favor. Psalm 512 says, For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Isn't that a great picture? God surrounding his people with his favor as with a shield. That's a beautiful picture of God's favor upon those who love and trust in him. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth and may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. I believe God is still looking for people to whom he can extend his favor. He's looking for people who will say, I will trust you, Lord. I will follow you, Lord. I will obey you, God, wherever you may lead. Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Not just in the easy times, but at all times. His praise shall continually, say continually with me, continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. 
The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. For I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not covered with shame. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. How many of you ever been in trouble? God says, I'll be there, okay? The angel of the Lord he camped around about them to fear him and save him out of all his troubles. Verse 8 in that Psalm 34 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of you have tasted and seen that God is good? Is he not a good God? Have you not had any food to eat this week? Most of us have had more than usual, probably. Have you not had any heat in your home? Have you not had blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing that sometimes we forget about? We have tasted and seen that God is good, especially because we understand that Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross for our sin and he rose from the grave and one day he's coming back again and all those who place their faith in him can know eternal life. What could be better than that? Psalm 37 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That does not mean that, okay, Lord, I would really love to have this $50,000 new car. It is so amazing. I'm going to delight myself and you from now to Christmas, and maybe I'll get it. He's not saying that, okay? What he's saying is find your delight in him. You might get some of the stuff that you want. You may not get it. But many times what God does is he changes our hearts so that we want what God's desires are for us and we find our delight in him, not just in the stuff. Not only did Mary receive the favor of God, Mary also received the presence of God. The angel told Gabriel, or the angel Gabriel told Mary, the Lord is with you and the same God who promised to be with Mary, has promised to be with us. Isaiah 9, 6. The prophet Isaiah said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Matthew 1, 23 says, And his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here's the good news. The same God who was with Mary has promised to be with you, and you, and all of you, who placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. In Hebrews 13, 5, God says, I will never leave you. Say the word never with me. Never leave you or never forsake you. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you. Say the word always with me. Always, even to the end of the world. In the 23rd Psalm, the psalmist says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because thou art with me, Lord. God doesn't just promise to be with you. He promises to help you. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and strength. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. God is not saying, if you follow me, you won't have any trouble. Sometimes God will lead you smack dab in the middle of it. Have you noticed? What he's saying is, I will be with you in the middle of whatever you might be facing. He loves you. He's there for you. Philippians 1 6 says, he who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Anybody in this room over 60? About four of you. Over that side. A couple over here. Okay. 
How about how, anybody? I am. You don't believe that, do you? Okay. How about 70? Anybody over 70 willing to admit it? How about 80? Anybody willing to admit it over 80? I got a few. Guess what? He's not done with you yet. He's still using you. Miss Opal brought somebody to church with her last Sunday. He's still using you. He's still using all of you who will trust in him and follow him with all of your lives. And he'll be with you when you have that surgery. He'll be with you when you get laid off from that job. He'll be with you when the check doesn't come in the mail. He'll be with you when every friend you thought you had has decided to bail. He'll be with you when you take that loved one to the nursing home or to the funeral home. Or you find yourself suddenly in the middle of a broken home. He never promises us that life will be easy, but he does promise to be there in every circumstance of your life. Some of you may be facing some of the most challenging circumstances in your life right here and now today. Listen, God is there. He's not leaving you. He's not forsaking you. It doesn't mean there's going to be an instant escape hatch. But it does mean that he will give you what you need to go through whatever you need to go through by his grace for his glory. Yeah, it's going to be too big for you probably. Yeah, it's going to be more than you can handle, but it won't be more than he can handle. Verses 28 and 29. The angel went to Mary and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. It's not like Mary had seen angels on a regular occurrence. It's doubtful that she'd ever seen an angel before in her life. So like us, Mary was greatly troubled, disturbed, perplexed. Why is this angel coming to me? Why is he telling me I am highly favored? Judging by the angel's words in the next verse, Mary must have also been afraid. She needn't be. Verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. There it is again. Mary receives God's favor in an incredible and uniquely unprecedented way. Now, Mary was not born without sin. She's not a perpetual virgin who had never had another son. In fact, Matthew 13, 55 tells you the names of four of them. She's not a co-redeemer with Jesus. You don't go through Mary to get to God. But still... What an amazing honor of all the thousands of Jewish virgins that God could have chosen to give birth to his son. He chose Mary. What an amazing honor. Verse 31. You will be with child, Mary, and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. Now, the name Jesus was not some unique name that nobody else in the New Testament world had. It was a very common name. In fact, in the Old Testament, the name for Jesus in the Hebrew is Joshua. Remember the word Joshua? Remember the Joshua in the Old Testament? There were lots of people by this name in the New Testament. Many people called Jesus. The name may have been common, but the meaning was uncommon. It means Savior or Deliverer. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name given under heaven by which we must be 
saved, other than the name of Jesus. In Luke 19.10, the Bible says, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those who were lost. He came for you. No matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how young, no matter what your background or situation, Jesus Christ came to this earth for you. He was born for you. He died for you. He rose for you. He's coming back for you. And for all of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, if you will give your life to him today, he will give you life, abundant and eternal. Amen? In verses 32 and 33, there are four predictions about Jesus. Prediction number one, he will be great, incredibly great. No lips can begin to describe. No tongue could ever start to tell how great Jesus would be. Isaiah says, or Revelation says, King of kings and Lord of lords. Second, he'll be called the son of the most high. In Jewish thought, a son was a carbon copy of his father. And son of, often used to mean one possessing the qualities of his father. Son of the most high points to Jesus' equality with God the Father. Jesus was both fully God and fully man as he walked this earth. Just as much God as though he never left heaven, just as human as anybody else on this earth was and is. Third, he'll be given the throne of his father, David. The best interpretation of this may be that Jesus will one day sit on David's throne when he reigns in the millennium. When the nations beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and they study war no more, Jesus will be on the throne. Prediction number four. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, starting in the millennium and continuing into eternity. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And as we sing in the Hallelujah Chorus, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's good news. One of these days, Philippians chapter 2 says that, Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you have never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do not wait for that day. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ today. What better time than now? Verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Now, Mary's not doubting the angel's words. She knows God can do this. What she needs to know is how God is going to do it. Verse 35, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. Remember Elizabeth? She and Mary are related. In about three months, Elizabeth will give birth to John. 
John would be the one who would prepare the way for Jesus. John would be the one who would baptize Jesus Christ and call people to repent because the Messiah was coming. Verse 37 gives us one of the classic statements in all of the New Testament. As the angel tells Mary that nothing is impossible with God. Say that with me. Nothing is impossible with God. Say it again. Nothing is impossible with God. One more time. Nothing is impossible with God. Do you really believe that? Listen, the Bible is filled with people who could testify to that. Think about Noah. Remember Noah? Noah was told by God to build an ark. As far as we know, it had never rained before. There's no record of it in the Bible. But God says, Noah, build an ark because I'm going to flood the world and I'm going to destroy everybody, but you and your family will be safe if you build an ark. How many of you think that might have been an act of faith to start building? Here is Noah day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, building this huge boat bigger than this room. And he's building it in front of a whole lot of wicked unbelievers. Do you think he might have faced some ridicule? Do you think he might have had some people saying, no, you're the stupidest thing I ever saw? Guess what? Sometimes when you follow Jesus Christ, you might not look like you're that smart either. But guess what? Nothing is impossible with God. Think about Joshua. Joshua told, was told by God to march around this wall with your army once a day for six days. Now on the seventh day, march around it seven times. And after you've marched around the wall seven times, on the seventh day, tell the people, give a shout, blow these trumpets, and these massive walls maybe 20, 30 feet thick. We don't know for sure how thick they were, but they were really, really, really thick. Joshua, they're all going to fall down. You're going to win a mighty battle. Yeah, sure, right, Lord. How about Gideon? Gideon's people are being impressed by an army that's like 135,000 people. And Gideon kind of rallies his troops together because God told him to, and God says, Gideon, your army's too big. What? It's too big. We're already we're really outnumbered. It's too big. God wills the army of Gideon down to 300 people. And he says, okay, Gideon, here's how you're going to do it. I want you to tell those 300 people to break those pitchers, light those lanterns, blow those horns, and you're going to win a mighty battle. Yeah, sure, right? Over 100,000 people against the 300 of us, sure. But Gideon decided, I believe God. And God did a mighty work. You go over and over. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're told by Nebuchadnezzar, the king, bow down to this idol. They said, we're not going to bow down to your idol, king. The God we serve is able to deliver us. Remember, nothing is impossible with God. However, even if he does not, we're still not bound down to your stinking idol, Nebuchadnezzar. I put the word stinking in there. I don't know if it's in there or not. Um, we're not bound down. Okay, we're going to throw you into a furnace of fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're going to be burnt like toast in a matter of a seconds. Go ahead. So they throw 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this furnace of fire. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar apparently gets this report, say, hey, I don't think this is working so hot, Neb. What's wrong? Come on and check it out. So Nebuchadnezzar goes over to this furnace of fire. He looks inside of it. He doesn't just see one man, two men, three men. He sees a fourth man. And the fourth man says, he looks at that guy. Nebuchadnezzar's like, this guy doesn't look like the other three either. In fact, it says in the King James, he has an appearance like the Son of God. Now, Bible scholars are not positive about this, but it's very, very possible that that was Jesus Christ standing right there in the fire with them. I got good news for you. You follow God, he might stick you in a fire, but he ain't going to leave you by yourself. He will be with you wherever he places you. He won't fail you. He won't forsake you. Sometimes it'll look like it. God, where in the world are you? Hello, I'm following you. What is the deal? You ever feel like that? I do. Sometimes after the first service, like, what's going on there, Lord? My wife said that to me. said, Kevin, you were dying in that first service today. I said, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Sometimes it's going to look like that. You stay in there with your God because there's a second service coming. There's another opportunity coming, and you got to stay faithful to your God. And the thick and the thin and the easy and the hard, when the circumstances make sense and when they absolutely do not, you stay in there and you follow him. He knows what he's doing. Do you believe that? He really does. He's never lost a battle. He always knows what's going on. No matter what challenge you face, remember, nothing is impossible with God. Learn from Mary's response in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said, according to your word. Mary's not some 60-year-old missionary who's been a Christian for 50 years. She's maybe 15. She doesn't have a ton of experience, but Mary gets it. She trusts in God. Notice Mary's submission to God. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Have you noticed submission is a politically incorrect word in our culture? We don't like to submit to anyone or anything. We rebel against authority. We don't like people telling us what to do. But if you are ever going to be used by God, you've got to learn to submit first and foremost to God. Secondly, to those God has placed an authority over you. I know sometimes that's hard, and sometimes like, those people are just clueless. And third, you got to learn to submit to one another. Question, how many of you have ever been driving down a country road, and you came up to a one-lane bridge? Has that ever happened to any of you? And there's a yield sign on your side. And if you were to go to the other side, there's a yield sign on the other side for the people coming to meet you. What would happen if neither vehicle yielded to the other? Crash, right? Too often, that's what happens to us in this life. I'm not talking about biblical principles. We've got to stay firm on those. But when it comes to our preferences 
We've got to learn to yield to one another. That's a, a key to relationships. In Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Paul says, don't do anything out of selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility of mind, consider others, say the word others with me, others as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Too often, what we do is we demand our own way. I got my rights. When we ought to yield to one another. Amen? Just preaching, okay? Second, Mary's simple yet powerful faith in God. Notice that. In the original New Testament Greek, the word for faith is pistis. It literally means believing obedience. I will believe, and out of that belief, I will obey. One of my favorite old gospel hymns says just that. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who will what? Trust and obey. You know that chorus thing with me? You know, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Isn't that true? Trust and obey. Now, I'm not asking to put your faith in me today. I'm not asking to put your faith in our staff. I'm not asking to put your faith in our deacons. I'm not asking to put your faith in, in some other Christian. I'm not asking to put your faith in anybody else other than the Lord your God. Because I will fail you. The deacons will fail you. The staff will fail you. People will fail you. But there is one who never has and never will fail. His name is Jesus. And he loves you. And he came to this earth for you. And he died for you. And he rose from the dead. And one day he's coming back for you. I close with this. It was autumn and the Indians are on a remote reservation. They asked their new chief, if the winter was going to be cold or mild. Since he was an Indian chief in a modern society and he never had been taught the old Indian secrets, he looked up at the sky and he really couldn't tell what it was going to be. So I thought, you know, play it safe. I'm going to tell the people that the winter's going to be kind of rough. Better gather some wood. So the people listened to him and they began gathering wood together. After a week or so of that, the Indian chief thought, you know, what if I'm wrong? I'm new at this chief job, and I really can't predict the weather. I know what I'll do. I'll call the National Weather Service, just kind of see what they're saying. So he calls the National Weather Service. They don't know who he is, but he calls them, and he says, hey, do you think it's going to be a, a, a very cold winter this year? Weather Service says, yeah, I think it's going to be kind of cold. Chief says, okay. He said, you know what? We better gather more wood. So he tells the other Indians, hey, we need to get more wood. It's going to be a really cold winter. And then about a week later, the chief says to himself, you know, 
I'm new at this Indian chief thing, and I really don't want to look stupid here. What if it's not really cold? I think I'll call the National Weather Service again. So he calls them a second time and says, Hey, sir, I know you don't know who I am, but I'm, I'm just calling. I'd like to know, what do you think? Is the winter going to be really cold this year? National Weather Service guy says, it's going to be really cold. Really cold. Guy says, okay, thanks for the information. So he tells the other Indian, says, you need to gather every scrap of wood that you can find. Because it's going to be one of the coldest winters we've ever seen. After he told that, and after he sees all these Indians collecting all this wood, and thought, this is really going to be crazy. I'm going to look really foolish if we don't have a rough winter. So he thought, I'll... I'll call the National Weather Service one more time. I just want to be sure of myself. So he calls the National Weather Service again. They don't have a clue who he is. He says, are you sure this is going to be one of the coldest winters ever? Absolutely, the man replied, the Weather Service. It's going to be one of the coldest winters we've ever had. How can you be so sure, the chief asked. Well, the weatherman replied, let me let you on in a little secret. Don't tell anybody I told you this. But the Indians, they know about this kind of stuff. And they're collecting wood like crazy. (laughs) This morning, I'm not asking you to put your trust in a meteorologist or an Indian chief or the farmer's almanac or in the words of a Baptist preacher. I'm asking you to put your trust in God. The God who spoke the universe into existence. And if you'll put your trust in him, he will never fail you. And you will never regret it. Because he is truly Lord, King of kings, and Lord of lords. And if you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord, I pray that you do that even today. Or maybe you have, but you're kind of unsure. You're drifting away. I would challenge you, encourage you. Be honest with God and say, God, I'm struggling. I need you. For somebody else, you're loving God, following God, serving God, and yet circumstances in your life look like they're falling apart. Don't put your trust in those circumstances. You put your trust in God. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. Some of you, God might be leading to join this church. Whatever God is leading you to do, we're going to give you an invitation, an opportunity to make a decision in the next few moments. I'm going to pray that we're going to stand and sing. You respond as God leads you.